actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? And the, the stuff about me paddleboarding, nonsense. The sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. When Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. You remember that one? Russia should go away, should shut up. And try that's in December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. Like seriously, what the fuck? Hiya babes, what's up? Um, this is another episode of what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business i'm jennifer one and um oh my god <laughs> so much to talk about so much to discuss i am god i'm mad about some things and we're going to talk about all of them so grab yourself a drink get cozy get comfy and let's have a good bitch about these bitches So, uh, what should we start with? Well, um, Nadine Doris has been uh, talked about a lot this week. And so let's start with her. Uh, we're going to talk about Channel 4 in a second. But first, I want to share with you uh, some things that, in my opinion, make it very clear that she is unsuitable to be culture secretary. Um, Nadine Doris is the culture secretary, unfortunately. And there are a number of reasons, such as the fact that she doesn't seem to know anything um, about all of the things that her job involves. But... I would say one of the most damning aspects of her unsuitability is how bad of a writer she is. Now, I'm qualified to say this because I have a degree in creative writing and I've been writing since childhood. And there are many people that think I'm actually quite good. And I appreciate those people. Um, by the way, slight plug, um, if you are interested in sampling some of my writing, and I promise you it won't be as traumatising as what I'm about to share with you, you can drop into my Twitch channel every Sunday evening. We will be sharing stories. It's a very cosy, cosy time. Um, so the link's in the description for that if you want to hear some actual good writing. Um, and now onto the bad writing, because this week I discovered a Twitter account called Daily Doris, which shares um, every day a little bit of something that Nadine Doris wrote. And my God, <laughs> my God, uh, get ready, strap him, because you are going to finish this traumatised, I promise you. Um so here's something from The Four Streets, which is a book that she wrote. And, you know, it, it's it's not uncommon for public figures, you know, and stuff like that to use ghost writers. Um, I think perhaps Nadine Doris is one of the only ones that didn't. And I say that because... Well, ghost writers are normally quite good and... I, I just find it hard to believe that this came from someone with any real experience or training in writing. This definitely came from the twisted mind of Nadine Doris, okay? So this is from The Four Streets. He gave a last irregular gasp and spat out the word feck. As spent, he leant more heavily on his knees into the mattress. 
less than an inch from her face, the last milky drop dribbled slowly and clumsily, still attached by a thread of slime onto her chin and slithered down onto her neck. Uh, well, if I was not a homosexual before that, I certainly would be now. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm also very grateful for the fact that I'm not a character in an Adine Doris book because I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm asking who is allowing her to do this? Because it is detrimental to the culture to allow this. Um, she has got, let's have a look. She has written so many so many bad books my god um <laughs> let's uh let's have a a little look so she's written there's a trilogy of these the, the four streets books um the angels of lovely lane the velvet ribbon my goodness um there's a lot there's a lot of of books here that she has written and oh, good lord who is allowing her to do this who is um who just who um let's have a look at some of the reviews we've got here uh joan uh, gave the Angels of Lovely Lane two stars uh, and said there was nothing particularly fresh or original in this novel and the excess of characters made it difficult to keep track of everyone. There were too many subplots all clamouring for attention and <laughs> it all seemed a little too forced and hurried. Um, oh dear. Oh dear. I just, oh, we've got a one star, <laughs> we've got a one star review, um, started this book, enjoyed it at first, then for, then kept picking it up, reading parts of it, then putting it down, just couldn't get into it, tried this book again, and yet again, couldn't get into it, going back to the library tomorrow. <laughs> Oh dear Nadine. Oh dear. Um so let's have another little look at something else. Uh this uh is from Ruby Flynn. Uh and it goes as thus. He wished they were somewhere else. He didn't want this girl to remember her first time in a back entry. Ill Michelle. But it was too late. She had won. He was lost. And as he entered her, as gently as he could, she shuddered and contracted, drawing him in. Oh, God, what? He held his breath and steadied himself, savouring the moment, relishing the dizziness in his head and the oblivion it brought. Listen, I don't want to hear a fucking Tory imply that LGBT people are sexual deviants again. Because look closer to fucking home. What is this? What is this? Oh my God. I... 
second. Second. Let's sample some uh, very, very uh, real and super, you know, realistic dialogue from the, the twisted mind of Nadine Doris. Uh, this is from Mary Kate. Um, Can we go now? My ass is as stiff as a dead donkey's langer on this chair. A man's hoarse whisper flew over the heads of the girls and reached Sister Magdalena's ears. A wave of suppressed giggling washed through, through the hall. Sister Magdalena frowned and Mary Kate swallowed hard. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm sure there are people that talk like that. <laughs> I feel like, um, I feel like she doesn't really have a very strong voice as a writer. Um, which is one of the first things that you learn in, in you know, writing classes so i mean honey if you want to do this perhaps you ought to you know go back to school i'm just saying um God. and she describes things in the most revolting of ways <laughs> so vulgar nadine um <laughs> oh my god So, Miss Nadine, she is the culture secretary, and this week she took to Twitter to make an announcement, and this is what she said. Channel 4 rightly holds a cherished place in British life, and I want that to remain the case. I have come to the conclusion that government ownership is holding Channel 4 back from competing against streaming giants like Netflix and Amazon. A change of ownership will give Channel 4 the tools and freedom to flourish and thrive as a public service broadcaster long into the future. I will set out the future plan for Channel 4 in a white paper in due course. I will seek to reinvest the proceeds of the sale into levelling up the leveling up the creative sector putting money into independent production and creative skills in priority parts of the country delivering a creative dividend for all you know uh which area could could use some investment in uh creative skills nadine your fucking house your house girly because <laughs> girl the things i have seen um so Here's the tea. Here is the tea. Channel 4 is being sold off. It's being privatised. If this fucks with, with me having access to Dairy Girls, I will... Girl. You don't understand. That show is my life. I think this is a fucking stupid idea. Um... For a number of reasons. And I am not the only one. Uh, there were a number of people that had things to say. Uh, Ruth Davidson, um, former leader of the Scottish Conservatives, and now just kind of like milling about the House of Lords, doing the House of Lords stuff or whatever. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, 
it, you know, it's it's easy to criticize the the government, but if you took a peerage from them, it kind of holds a little less weight. But you know, she's doing it anyway. Uh, so she said on Twitter, Channel Four is publicly owned, not publicly funded. Now this is an important distinction because it would appear that Nadine Doris and also a lot of Conservative MPs are pretending not to know this. Or they just don't know this. I, I mean, who even knows with them? Uh, so she said, it doesn't cost a taxpayer a penny. It also, by charter, commissions content, but doesn't make or own its own. It's one of the reasons we have such thriving indie sectors in places like Glasgow. This is the opposite of levelling up. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so uh, Lucy Powell, a Labour MP, said this. Uh, Nothing screams... A rudderless government more than this, selling off Channel 4, which doesn't cost the taxpayer a penny anyway, to what is likely to be a foreign company makes absolutely no sense. It will cost jobs and opportunities in Yorkshire and hit our creative economy. Agree. Um, Julian Knight, who's a Conservative MP um, and the chair of the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee, um, had some questions about the intentions of the government he said elephant in the room time is this being done for revenge for channel fours no see i wouldn't say it's biased but he said that so i'm just using his words biased coverage of the likes of brexit and personal attacks on the prime minister the timing of the announcement 7 p.m coinciding with the channel four news is very telling um Undoubtedly, across much of the party, there is a feeling of payback time and the word privatisation tickles the ivories of many. The money is irrelevant, equivalent to four days na national debt interest, so it must be used to support skills in creative sectors. Now, I think he's onto something. I don't think that Channel 4 uh, was biased over Brexit or personally attacking the Prime Minister. I think that the journalists that work for Channel 4 News were doing their jobs and covering um, covering things that the Prime Minister had said and done and holding him to account for that. I don't think that that is personal attacks. I think that's them doing their jobs. I don't think that they were biased over Brexit. I think they were just reporting reality that was in front of them. You know, that they're, they're just reporting the facts because that's what journalists fucking do. Um, just because the government doesn't like something, um, that doesn't mean it's biased or a personal attack. Um, however, I wouldn't put it past this government to see it that way and to see journalists doing their jobs uh, rather than just reading out press releases and just reporting things the government wants them to and reporting things in the way that the government wants them to. I can definitely see this government seeing that as a personal attack. Um, so I, I, I do think he's onto something in the sense that perhaps this is the government um, taking revenge, uh, which would also explain why a number of people in the Conservative Party are running around and trying to spread the narrative that actually this is a good thing um, because, uh, you know, Channel 4 is costing you loads of money, no, 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 even though it isn't. Um, you know, why do you, why do you think that Channel Four on their streaming service has ads and you know BBC iPlayer doesn't? It's because that's how Channel Four makes their fucking money. Um, so Ben Bradley, uh, Conservative MP, and also he's a councillor because he thinks he's capable of doing both jobs. I don't think he is, but he does. Um, he said, "Welcome this." 
with a thumbs up emoji. If Channel 4 wants to compete in the modern market, it needs to be able to invest and grow. It can't do that unless it is free from the state. Taxpayers can't fund that. So it needs to be a private business. No need for state involvement anymore. The taxpayers aren't funding it anyway. They're not. And if, if you weren't a dumb bitch, you would know this. Um, it, it very much seems like a deliberate attempt to try and manipulate the public with this misinformation that Channel 4 is, is you know, on the take from the public when it isn't. Um, and it, it very much you know this this whole narrative of oh well you know if they're if they're not owned by the government anymore they can you know compete with with netflix and amazon and yada 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 i i mean that to me i mean you know pretty much every every broadcaster every channel is is already you know doing that you know and and there's no reason why they can't do that um you know outside of being privatized you know it's still possible um you know creating innovative content which channel 4 is doing you know their news coverage is often seen as incredibly innovative it is um a highly trusted source um, because of the fact that they have journalists working for them and broadcasters who do an incredible job. So, you know, that's not something that Netflix or Amazon provide because Netflix and Amazon don't provide news services. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they don't, there's a lot going on that they don't provide. So, you know, I, they, they already are competing and they are they are being competitive they are providing things that netflix amazon don't provide um so this idea that they need to be privatized to be able to be competitive and they need to be privatized to be able to offer things that netflix or amazon don't offer is is nonsense because they literally already are doing that it's just that the government doesn't like what they're doing and so <laughs> Ta-da! we're gonna sell you off and fuck with your life um i do think that this is shady as fuck um channel 4 have put forward proposals to keep the station in public ownership um and and they were rejected uh who's surprised not me um I think this is what happens when you have somebody who does not really understand um, anything about culture and you have them in control of this. Nadine Doris, she... What the, what the fuck is her qualification? Her shit books? No, I don't think. Um, I think this is very shady and I'm very suspicious of it and I don't like it and I have my deep concerns but I have a lot of deep concerns about everything involving this government as you'll know um I don't think that this is the best thing for channel four I also don't think uh, you know in a wider sense for the industry I don't think it's a good thing um in terms of jobs I I do worry about job losses um you know cuts and 
you know, changes to output, I think that's a huge concern. And I think the government doesn't care because that's what they're hoping for. Um, and I, I, I think that is something that, again, demonstrates the unsuitableness of Nadine Doris for the role that she has. Um, and the, the, the danger of this government, I don't think they're a suitable government at all, in any sense. So, I... Firstly, actually, I have to tell you, um, I'm going to be discussing um, sexual harassment um, and exploitation. So, again, if that is something that is uh, difficult for you, uh, I'll be putting timestamps in the description so you can uh, skip past if you are going to have a difficult time with this segment. Um, So I, it's really difficult to um, to talk about this and not not have a, a slight air of I told you so, but like it's in an angry way, and I'm not directing it at most people. I'm directing it at the the government, the UK government. Um, so when the scheme to um, to house Ukrainian refugees in people's homes was announced, I had my concerns and I vocalised those concerns specifically about exploitation, specifically about um, safeguarding issues. Because... As much as I believe that most people signing up to a scheme like that are going to be doing so because they want to help and because they want to be there for vulnerable people and support them in their time of need, you also have to accept that it is going to attract some people that seek to hurt and exploit those vulnerable people that is the case in pretty much anything that involves vulnerable people you know um you know health and social care um you know fostering you know all, all of these different sectors that involve somebody stepping up to support and help a vulnerable person they all have very specific um, and rigorous safeguarding checks for a reason. It's not just so that, you know, those, those people can be difficult and obstructive. It's to minimise the risk of potential abuse and exploitation. Um, and we were assured by the government that this scheme was going to be okay because they were going to be doing checks and things and it was all going to be fine. But I still had my doubts. I, I did. Um, because 
because the, these are particularly vulnerable people and we had already seen society take a kind of exploitative view on them anyway um and i'm not saying everybody i'm not i'm not but what i will say is this um i read um i read an article around the beginning of the conflict about how on porn websites searches for ukrainian girls ukrainian women and Russian soldiers shot up because there were people looking for footage of women and girls that were stuck in this conflict being sexually abused. Now again, that's not to say that everybody should be blamed and everybody should be looked at suspiciously, but what I am saying is that immediately, in the immediate wake of a horrific conflict that presented huge danger to women and girls, some people's first thoughts was, I want to go online and watch them being sexually abused so I can get off on it. And that tells you a lot about, about you know, where we are as, as a society. That some people's first thoughts when they see you know, people's homes being bombed, when they see little kids being injured, when they see people running for their lives, their first thought is, I want to see them being abused because I like that or something. I, I mean, I don't understand that mentality, but it's happening and we have to acknowledge that. Um, and so for me... The knowledge that there were some people who were thinking that straight away gave me great concern about a government initiative that was essentially, we are going to place vulnerable refugees directly into the homes of, of people who will be paid... Um, because, again, like I said, I'm sure that most of the people that signed up to that scheme are good-hearted people that just wanted to help. But there are going to be some people that are looking at it from a I'd like that payment perspective. Uh, there are going to be some people that are looking at it as I could potentially exploit these people for labour perspective. And then there are going to be some people who who are looking at it because most of the refugees are going to be women and girls um, and children. Um, and they're going to be thinking, I can take these people in. And it can, it can become sexual. Um, and the problem with, you know, safeguarding is that it has its limits um you know in terms of vetting and stuff like that i mean a lot of people think that a dbs check um a disclosure and barring check is is some kind of uh, you know unstoppable defense against abuse and that as long as you've had a dbs check it's all going to be fine 
um that is not the case um in a in fact i might i might just roll this into the same segment uh considering it's on the same topic um well similar topic um but in a bit i'm going to be talking about um the all party i always say that wrong all party there we go parliamentary group (laughs) she can't speak english um on british wrestling and their response to um a recent i say recent but i mean it's been going on for years but the exposure of it was recent um recent uh scandal involving um sexual sexual abuse and sexual exploitation and british wrestling um and when that was exposed a lot of people's response was dbs checks make everyone get a dbs check and i'm sorry to tell people because i feel like that's comforting for some people they think oh well if everyone has a dbs check it's all fine but dbs checks can only do so much um they will only show um if somebody's been convicted of something and as anybody who has tried to get justice for some kind of um, violent or sexual crime will be able to tell you uh, in the UK uh, the rates of conviction are very low um, for a number of reasons Um, for some it's that the victims are just genuinely too afraid to be able to go through with it um, coercive control plays a part, uh, fear of repercussion, fear of further abuse. Um, but also a lot of the time victims are, are failed very heavily. Um, one of the, the, arguably the most famous cases of this, um, would be, you know, some of the girls that were victims of on-street grooming, um in which they they've reported those crimes which is a very difficult thing to do um reporting sexual crime is incredibly difficult um it takes a huge emotional toll on you um and just the just the act of reporting can be incredibly traumatic um but they went ahead and they they did that and and these were kids as well kids who found the the strength and the courage to be able to do that um and then the police just they just didn't take them seriously they they didn't care and the the cases just kind of fell by the wayside um their abusers went on to abuse more people um and these girls were traumatized um by the fact that they weren't believed the the prosecution service failed the police failed um and those girls were just left um, for years and years until the case was finally reopened again and uh, they were taken seriously. Um, however, in a lot of cases, that second part doesn't happen. Um, you know, and so there isn't you know, a a proper resolution. It's just, well, we've dropped it. That's all. Um, you know, in in those cases of, of exploitation and grooming and abuse, 
specifically, it was really only because um, the the prosecution service was was you know taken over. There was you know new people in that looked at it and thought, oh my god, we've made a horrible mistake and these kids need our help and you know they had to go through the process of re-earning their trust and that only happened because there were specific sympathetic people that actually gave a damn about helping people um and that you know there are institutional issues I mean people don't want to accept this but (laughs) there are institutional issues of you know um things like misogyny, classism, um, within multiple police forces across the UK, um, racism as well, um, I think plays a part a lot, um, if you look at, for example, uh, there was a a recent story about a, a young girl, um, who, for no reason, was strip searched by adult officers no supervision present no permission given by her parents this girl was thrown into this trauma um and you know people will say oh it's not a race issue yes it is um she was a young black girl girl because she's a child and you know it's very common for British police to see black kids as adults, you know, and um, they'll, they'll treat them that way and they don't care about the trauma they're inflicting on those kids. And, you know, so there are huge problems with, um, you know, with the police and how seriously they take crimes. Do they actually give a shit? No. Um, the prosecution service isn't, really that bothered either um I for my my own experiences I mean there are things that have happened to me and I just I just knew instinctively there's no fucking point talking to the police they don't care about what happens to girls like me um I can't talk about it in great deal detail uh, but the, you know there's currently something that I am actually uh you know an attempt is being made to actually uh get something done um But is it going to happen? Is something going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I want to believe the system's going to work, but I have my doubts. Um, so we have a situation where, you know, sexual crimes, uh, violent crimes, quite often there is no conviction because the police will give up or they don't care or, you know, it, it just all goes to shit. Um, and so a DBS check is not a sure way to know um, how safe a person is because it's only going to show you what the the police and the prosecution service have actually bothered to get a conviction for so you know dbs checks on you know the people in these you know homes is not a surefire way um of of being able to 
know that where you're going to be placing a refugee is going to be safe for them. And so now, reports have come out that a number of women who have been placed in homes are trying to move to new new homes because men who are hosting them are sexually harassing them, making sexual advances, um, pressuring them for sex. And 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 this this was one of the things I was concerned about because these are women that, you know, are, are literally running from war. When they when they get to the UK and they get placed in these homes, they're not gonna have a support network, they're not gonna have anyone really that they can talk to, they're not gonna have anyone um that they can, you know, get out of the house and, and you know get get away from this from for 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 many for many refugees that have been placed yes they'll be placed in in good places and it'll be fine and their host will treat them well and it's all going to be okay but for some they're going to be placed in a home with somebody um with bad intentions and they will essentially be trapped there because they're not going to know the local area. They're not going to know people locally. They may not know how to reach out and get help and support. Um, there are going to be some refugees that have essentially been trapped um, in homes with people that wish to exploit them. And... Well, a DBS check isn't going to fucking stop that, is it? Because, you know, it's very possible that people can get away with crimes in the, in the UK. Like, that's just the reality. And, um... And I... I have to... I have to wonder... If there was a um a better way to do this, I mean, there are a lot of hotels in the UK, and I, I, you know, I know, I think it's currently half term. I don't know, uh, the days just kind of blend into one for me, but um, I believe it's currently half term. But you know, outside of this week. Um, and, you know, the Easter holidays, quite a lot of, quite a lot of hotels are going to be empty because, you know, it's currently pretty cold and, you know, quite a few touristy destinations and places that have hotels are not going to be all that full. Um... And the rates will be cheaper. See, that's why I go on holiday outside of the, the, the holidays. Because, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about getting them out of school and yada, yada, yada. 
Um, so I just I just go then because you know it's cheaper and there's less people and I can just you know chill and have my lovely holiday. Um, and so I I have wondered why why the government didn't look at that as an option. I know it's not ideal long term, but as a starting point, um, before moving forward and finding more permanent accommodation. I would say that is a better option than just dropping vulnerable people into the homes of fucking anybody. Because, yeah, like I said, you know, there are going to be lots of people that are in this for the right reasons and they just want to help and they're going to be wonderful hosts. I, I believe that sincerely. Um, but there are also going to be people that are incredibly dangerous. And... There's no real way to be able to tell one from the other. With something like temporary hotels and then moving to more permanent um, accommodation, um, you know, with a hotel, you you get, you, you know, you're in a room by yourself. It's not the case that someone can just come into your room. You know, if, if most homes in the UK, I would imagine, don't have locks on the bedroom doors, um, I mean, Christ, some of them don't even have locks on the bathroom doors. I mean, couldn't be me, but, um, <laughs> um, but, you know, for example, my, my, my childhood home, actually, having said that, uh, didn't have a lock on the, on the bathroom door because, uh, a member of my family had epilepsy. Um, and so, um, it was, you know, for safety in case they had a, a seizure, um you know in in the bath we had to be able to get into the bathroom um and that lock ceased to be there because um well it used to be there and and then they did have a seizure in the bathroom and actually this is one of my great childhood achievements i rescued that person from the bath <laughs> i did and i got i got an award for it and everything <laughs> i was like nominated for some award for like i don't know like brave kids or some shit and I got to go to this award show um and I got to go up on stage and be like yeah I just like pulled them out of the bath and I called an ambulance um very that um <laughs> I just remembered that and it was it. <laughs> oh my god what an icon anyway but my, my point is you know most bedrooms in the UK are not going to have a lock on the door um some bathrooms may not you know and, and there are communal spaces where you know if you want to you know if, if if a refugee wants to use the kitchen that you know that they have to accept that there might be somebody else in there and if they are in a situation where they are being harassed where they're being abused in a in a typical british house they have nowhere to escape from that they have nowhere to hide um and so I have to I have to wonder whether these were things that the government um had considered um and I 
I can already hear, you know, some people, and I've seen on social media as well, which is gross. I've seen some people being like, oh, well, you know, it's better that they're here and potentially in that situation than being in Ukraine. And no, I don't accept that. I do not fucking accept that because because what the fuck? We have to be better than that, surely. We have to be fucking better than that. Um, you know, just because they have come from war, that doesn't mean that they should be expected to accept harassment and abuse and exploitation. That absolutely is is not the fucking case. Um you know, if somebody is the kind of person that sees a vulnerable person and thinks, I'm going to sexually exploit them or I'm going to exploit them for free labour or I'm going to harass them, I'm going to abuse them. That is that is not normal behaviour. And it's not right our society should just think about it and and say well you know it's it's better than being back in ukraine isn't it these people will have been through enough already they would have been through enough um i would hope that the government would step in and try and sort out some kind of alternative accommodation for the women that are facing this. But I have to be honest, I have my doubts that that is going to happen. Um, and, um, it's sad that I have to think that, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. Unfortunately, um, that's just how it happens uh, sometimes. But I, I wish only the best for these people. And I really deeply hope that the government will consider alternative options. But this is the UK government we're talking about, so my hopes are not too high. Um, speaking of things my hopes are not too high for, <laughs> I, I mentioned briefly just now, um, about, uh, British wrestling, um, a strange crossover of my interests, um, and so I'm going to talk a bit more about that now, so, um, and I can come at this from, uh, a slightly unique perspective in that, um, I've... <laughs> I mean, my interest waned, obviously, at a certain point, but uh, I used to be uh, very, very interested in British wrestling um, and was even uh, briefly a part of it. I was actually, uh, for about a year, um, I was I was involved. Um, I was training several times a week. I was, you know, I performed on shows. I did backstage stuff at shows, I was 
that was a thing that I was doing. <laughs> um, my character was um, this horrid, uh, you know, bitchy journalist who followed around this guy who was a distant member of the British royal family <laughs> um, and was like his kind of, you know, personal PR person slash lackey, whatever. Um, I was I was his manager and he was he was um yeah it was it was a laugh actually until it wasn't um and that was kind of for me where i i think getting involved on a deeper level was where i just kind of thought oh my god no this is horrible i don't want to be here um and that was why when the in in 2020 there was a huge scandal in which a number of people in the industry um, and some fans of the um, industry came forward and spoke out about um, abuse and harassment that they had suffered. And there was a number of people, um, I guess maybe they see themselves as bystanders, but there were a number of people that came forward and said, oh, my God, I'm so shocked. I had no idea. And there were some of them in particular. And I remember thinking, now, I know that you had an idea because, like, we literally were in the same room. We we saw things and you're sitting here saying, oh, I had no idea. Bitch, yes, you did. Yes, you fucking did. <laughs> uh, I remember one uh, one case in particular. And I I just I, I noticed I, I, I could see something was wrong and I reached out to um to a, a young girl and I said you know look you don't have to open up to me you know your life is your business but is something going on I could just I could see it I could sense it I could I could tell something was wrong and she she told me you know so many things that had happened to her um and it was hard because I wanted to fucking go after these people. I was like, what the fuck? This is revolting. This is disgusting. And I had to hold back because at the time she was dealing with the police. And the police, in their usual fashion, ended up being fucking useless. So she ended up publicly speaking out. Um, and this was a couple of years before this, you know, the, the huge... Uh, event of 2020 um she opened up about it publicly and um people didn't want to hear it there were a lot of people that attacked her uh including some of the people that then later when this uh scandal kind of rebroke in 2020 were like oh god i'm so shocked i'm so upset you know solidarity with the victims and I was like well that's funny because a couple of years ago you were attacking a literal child that came forward and bravely spoke about being exploited but okay okay um so um the big message here is that the British wrestling industry is incredibly fucking shady and I do not trust it um so there was a report that was put together by I'm gonna try to say this correctly again might fail, but we'll see. The all-party parliamentary group. Yes, 
uh, on on British wrestling. They put forward a report uh, into the state of the British wrestling industry. Um, they covered a lot of topics, um, you know, um, safeguarding, uh, exploitation and abuse, but also stuff like, you know, the financial issues that the industry had because of, um, you know, COVID and stuff like that. Um, and so it was... I remember at the time the report was released and there were some people who were who were disappointed um, because, you know, it wasn't as in-depth as they thought it would be. Um, but I think it was kind of, you know... The, the, the beginning of something happening um which you know okay uh, <laughs> um but there were concerns because you know during during you know, the evidence sessions um there were some concerns because you know, there were, you know, there were people who were, um, you know, spoken to during the inquiries that were perhaps covering themselves. Um, and so that was a concern. Um, and I, I did, uh, talk about this at the time and I'm going to raise it again. Although what I will say, um, is that I am not making any allegations here. And I do believe, um, that this member of parliament I don't think that he was acting in bad faith and I don't think that he was aware of everything. Um, but Paul Bristow, who is a member of the all-party parliamentary group on British wrestling, was making appearances for a promotion, a wrestling promotion, that was owned by somebody who had been named by quite a few of the accusers in the speaking out scandal. Um, and he had been making appearances for this person on their shows um, and had created this whole, like, <laughs> wrestling character. Um, and I'm not saying... I want to be real clear because I, I, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, this person knowingly made appearances for an abuser because I don't think that that's the case. I would like to give this person the benefit of the doubt. Um, but what I will say is that if this all-party parliamentary group 
oh look at her saying it right first time <laughs> if they are going to make a real impact on cleaning up the British wrestling industry then then I think they need to look at it um from a removed perspective not looking at it as as fans not looking at it as people who want to go and be on shows and have a laugh um Paul Bristow was uh was was still posting about LDM wrestling um you know in in January of 2021 um he as far as I can see hasn't yet um like recently let me let me just check twitter has this lovely little feature that allows you to search tweets like directly on a person's profile now and it's so fucking handy um <laughs> um okay so he did again uh mention it in march of 2021 but since then he hasn't um Uh, the promotion has talked about his involvement as well. Um, and I mean, look, I I understand, you know, if he's a fan of the industry, if he wants to be involved, uh, you know, maybe fuck it. If he wants to, you know, transition and become like, you know, a part-time wrestler, part-time MP, I mean, okay. Um, but... <laughs> If he's going to be doing that, he needs to be doing his research and he needs to not be making appearances for a promotion that is owned by a man that was named multiple times throughout this scandal and multiple people have made accusations against. Um, and not just in this, uh, in 2020, because again, like I, I said before, this is something that went back years. Um, the person that owns that promotion, there were allegations about his conduct and his behaviour that actually stretch far, far back. Um, somebody that I actually um, trained with and knew um, also spoke out against him. Um, but years before, years before the, the 2020 event, um, she was publicly saying this happened. You know, this happened to me. And there were a lot of people who were going, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, solidarity, solidarity. But they'd still go and work for that man. Um, and so... You know, I think one of one of my big concerns here is that, and I I don't mean this to sound horrible or patronising or mean, but I think one of the one of the the dangers of this is that, you know, and and all of the MPs involved in this parliamentary group admit this, they're fans. And so I worry that perhaps their fandom may be taken advantage of. Um, you know, you have an MP who is asked to make appearances at a wrestling show. Did his inner fan take over? And he just said, yeah, OK. And he didn't look into it and say, hmm, uh, is, is this perhaps... Uh, you know, the kind of place that I want to be lending my name and my credibility to. Um, is it possible that this is a promotion that has been um, surrounded by scandal 
for a number of years and is maybe looking to bring in uh, big names and celebrities and people with, um, you know, big public, you know, personas to distract from this. Um, because this is not the first time that that promotion's done that. They've they've brought in a number of of public figures. Um, I mean, Christ! I think at one point they had fucking Nigel Farage working at one of their shows. I think. Um, you know, it does seem to be a thing they do. They bring in people with huge public platforms, um, and people will talk about that rather than the abuse accusations levelled against their owner. Um, and so I do wonder, you know, did the inner fanboy maybe take over and sort of knock out the logic of, hmm, maybe I should look into this promotion and make sure everything's okay. Um, you know, like I said, during the, you know, the, the evidence sessions, there were, there were a, a number of people um, including people that had been in, involved, there was one person, and um, a member of their family had been accused um, by multiple people of bullying, harassment, um, and and sexual misconduct, and this person who ended up speaking at the you know, at the evidence sessions, uh, they had gone on social media rants attacking the people that had come forward. They had, um, you know, they posted videos of them, um, being incredibly aggressive, very threatening, trying to intimidate the people that had come forward into shutting up and taking back what they had said. Um, they had tried to discredit the victims, uh, that have come forward, and then this person is sat there, you know, nice as pie, smiling, you know, being all polite, talking to these MPs about the industry, and I'm thinking, but this person was literally trying to intimidate and discredit people that came forward about a member of their family, and, and nobody seems to be aware of this, um, and I actually, <laughs> I actually... <laughs> wrote to to the um to the APPG to to tell them that and to let them know you know hi uh not to be you know a bitch about it but you know this guy is is sitting there and he's he's smiling and he's telling you his his narrative and his story and what he wants you to know but what you don't seem to know is that you know he was trying to you know, push down the voices of people that came forward about this scandal. He, you know, he's very much sitting here smiling at you and trying to cover his ass, and you don't seem to know that. <laughs> um, you know, and I know I'm not the only person that did that. I know there was a lot of people that also wrote because it, he he wasn't the only person that was doing that. There was a a number of people um, that that went and they gave evidence to essentially change the narrative and cover their own asses. Um, but this this week, why am I talking about this again? <laughs> well, I'm finally going to get round to my point. So this week, um, Alex Davies Jones, Labour MP and a member of the All Party Parliamentary Group on British Wrestling, she uh, gave an interview where she talked about uh, the plans for the future for the British wrestling industry, um, 
And she claims that British wrestling will be legitimised in the UK. Um, and I want to believe her. I really, I really honestly do. And I do think that she's saying this because she believes in it as a cause. I really fucking do think that, you know, and, and, you know, regardless of political alignments and whatever, I do believe that everybody involved in this parliamentary group wants better for this very troubled industry. I really, really do. But I question how possible it is. Um, I don't doubt their sincerity and I don't doubt their faith and I don't doubt that they want it. But I wonder how possible is it really? You know what I mean? Um, so she said British wrestling is going to be legitimised. She... Um, she says that they want to see the industry thrive and change for the better. And I believe her. I absolutely believe her. Um, she does acknowledge, obviously, that progress. <laughs> That's funny because reasons. Um, but <laughs> that progress wouldn't be achieved overnight. It wouldn't be easy. Um, but that they are uh, looking forward to... Um, to make change and to make things better um and i i believe that those are her intentions i do and i i believe that she does want this a hundred percent but here's the thing so 2020 the speaking out scandal happens so many people find the strength to come forward and say you know this person harassed me or this person abused me they they bring the receipts they bring evidence and so many people in the industry they stand up and they say oh god this is horrible solidarity oh how awful um you know and and lots of british wrestling promotions as well come out and say oh my god that's awful and we're gonna look at our safeguarding and we're gonna they all fucking said we're gonna start putting in dbs checks and i had to laugh because <laughs> come the fuck on um you know and they all said you know we're gonna make everything better we are gonna focus on keeping people safe and making sure this never happens again and we are gonna cast out all the bad people from the industry and it's all gonna be better um, they all said this to the, you know, at the evidence sessions for the all party parliamentary group as well, by the way. Um, you know, we are going to be changing our, you know, company structures. We're going to be being more transparent. We're going to make everything safer and better. Um, but then time goes on and people that were exposed as abusers, as harassers, um, as bullies, end up being booked on shows again. All these promotions that came out and said, oh, wow, this is horrible. This is terrible. We have to do better. We're going to do better. Um, you know, they then start booking these people again. 
they they start bringing them back um using them on their shows um and some as well and i do find this to be a bit more insidious if i'm honest um some were using them in backstage roles um and deliberately uh doing everything they could to try and hide it from the audience um because i mean obviously if you book someone on the show and you put them on the fucking poster or whatever or you publicly announce that they're going to be there you know i mean that's bad obviously but if you are deliberately going round the houses to hide a person's involvement in the show but you're still giving them a paid opportunity you're still you know using them in some capacity but you're hiding it you know they're backstage um you know that that is i would say even more dangerous because firstly it shows a clear awareness of it being wrong um you know they know that they can't put them front and center they know they can't put them on the poster they know they can't advertise them so they hide them away um but it also puts everybody else that is involved in that show in a horrible position of if i talk about this i'm gonna lose work if i talk about the fact that they've got somebody that was exposed for harassing um and abusing women backstage working as a producer or something like that if I talk about that my career is going to suffer um you know if I talk about the fact that they've got someone working backstage here um who you know who who was exposed for you know abusing children if I talk about it my career is going to suffer my career could be over and so it's essentially coercing people into silence again it's creating this culture of you know shut up or we're going to ruin your career um which was the whole issue in the first place you know people you know it was one of the things that was almost constant throughout the 2020 event was people saying i felt like i couldn't say anything because they would ruin my career um, you know, I felt like I couldn't report this when it happened to me because they told me that they would ruin my career. And so it's a whole new generation of talent that are being put in that position by these promotions. Um, you know, and so with all of that going on currently, I have to wonder despite their ambition and I do think their ambition is genuine how much can this all-party parliamentary group actually do if you have an industry that is seemingly addicted to this bad behavior how much can a well-meaning group of MPs actually do to change it um I I firmly believe they want to there is no doubt in my mind about that. And I don't doubt their intentions at all. I really do think every single member of that all-party parliamentary group wants change and they want things to be better. And they do understand the um, the horrific 
uh, situation that has been unfolding in that industry for a number of years. I don't doubt that at all. But what I do doubt is the industry's willingness to change. They might say the right things at evidence hearings. They might say the right things publicly on social media, in little statements and and all that. But are they willing to actually do the work behind the scenes? I don't know. Honestly, I have my doubts. So this week, uh, we are sending thoughts, prayers and good vibes to Douglas Ross, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, um, who has this week tested positive for COVID-19. I hope that he will be recovering um, well and quickly because I'm a nice person and I'm not going to, um, you know, be a dick about it. But what I will say is this, and, you know, maybe I'm talking to him, maybe I'm not, who even knows. I I think it's 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 a good thing, isn't it, that, you know, the Scottish government have been quite cautious in things like, you know, lifting COVID restrictions and you know, removing testing availability. It's it's a good thing, really, that that the Scottish government have, have taken their time about this and are ensuring that people have what they need in terms of COVID, isn't it? Because, you know, if, uh, if Douglas Ross lived in another part of the UK, perhaps things would be more difficult for him at this time. That's all. Um, and perhaps maybe he ought to think about that. Um, so question time this week, BBC question time. Now, I don't generally watch question time because I value my sanity. Um, you may remember if you scroll back through the episodes, there is an episode where I did actually watch it and I reacted to it for a podcast because my dude... Brian Cox was on the show that week and I had to show up for him. Um, but I don't generally watch it because I love myself. And um, oh my God, sorry, I just had a flashback of something really horrible. Um, oh, the trauma. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this week on Question Time, um, Greg Hans, Conservative MP, a uh, bit of a fool, uh, he was on and he was trying to justify one of Rishi's big ideas. Um, so one of the things that Rishi has come up with to try and help with the cost of living crisis um, is a £200 energy discount, using that, you know, air quotes because it's not a discount because a discount means that you get money off the thing right no strings you, you get you get money off right now typically with a discount you don't have to pay that money back that that you didn't have to pay at the time of the transaction if i go uh into town and i go to the shops which i will be doing later today actually um, I'm going to be going and doing my shopping, um, <laughs> being depressed that everything costs more. Um, if I go into, you know, if I go into Sainsbury's and they say, you know, uh, we've got two for one on pasta, 
right? So I get two packets of pasta. I take it to the till and I only pay for one of them because it's on a two for one discount offer, right? I am not then expected several months later to pay for that second packet of pasta because they've told me it's a discount. It's a special offer. You only pay for one of them, but you get two of them. If I go into um, Aldi and I see a thing and it's like, oh, we've got, you know, 20p off of, you know, sugar puffs um i don't even know if sugar puffs are a thing anymore i sometimes i get like a weird craving for sugar puffs and i can never find them in the shops and it's really winding me up if i'm honest i don't know can somebody just write in send me an email and just say you know hello i've seen sugar puffs and tell me where they are i it doesn't matter where you are i will come I will come and I will get some. But anyway, anyway, and I, I see there's 20p off sugar puffs, right? I go and I pay at the till. I am not then expected several months later to give that shop back that 20p because it's a discount. That's what a discount is. You don't have to pay back the money that they that they didn't charge you, right? So Rishi's big idea is a £200 discount on your energy bills, meaning that... Um, £200 will be taken off. Um, however, you will then have to pay that money back. Um, you will have to uh, pay it back over, I think it's a, a four or five year period. Um, so they'll take a little bit, you know, at a time. And, and so you're having to pay back this discount. Now, that's not a discount. As many people are pointing out, and as many people pointed out to Greg Hans on Question Time, it's not a discount, it's a loan. And it's also a loan that none of us have a choice about signing up to. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we, we don't get a choice. It's automatically applied to everybody. And so it's not a discount. It's really not, because you don't have to pay back a fucking discount. Um... It's a loan that we are all being pushed into and we don't have a choice and we, you know, that that's what it is. Um, and so he he was trying to defend it on question time and everyone was yelling, it's a loan, it's a loan. And he was insisting, it's not a loan, it's a discount. And he looked absolutely pathetic. Um, I, I feel a bit bad for him that he was sort of, you know, told to go and do that and defend the government. But you know what? We all make our choices in life and he still made the choice to show up and do that. Uh, he could have said no and saved himself a little bit of trouble and saved his dignity, but he decided not to. And I find that sad. Um, other things I find sad, GB News. Uh, so GB News or GBBs as the cool kids call it, um, is a a weird little thing. It's a weird little thing. Um, it's a, a conservative news broadcaster thing. Um, it's not been doing great in terms of ratings. It has kind of plummeted a bit after the initial interest wore off. And they've lost quite a few of the big names that initially signed up. Um, but now they, they've got a big exclusive and they've got some big stars. Uh, they've got uh, Boris Johnson doing a broadcast interview with them um, for this weekend. It's a big exclusive. Um, and guess who he's being interviewed by? The shining stars of GB News, uh, Esther McVeigh and Philip Davis, who are both Conservative MPs, um, both 
very talented at not being talented. Um, and they will be interviewing the Prime Minister on GB News. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Um, you know, and this, this is, you know, at a time when we're talking about, oh, is Channel 4 biased? With it? Fucking look at GB News. Look at that. They're literally allowing uh, the Prime Minister to be interviewed by his own MPs uh, during during an election period, of course, because, you know, there are a number of um, local government elections coming up. And, and, you know, the Prime Minister is just allowed to be interviewed um, on television by his own MPs. Um, interesting. Interesting. Uh-huh. I'm sure it's going to be real insightful shit. Uh, no, it's it's not. It's just going to be, oh, well, you know, Boris, how do you... <laughs> How are you? How are you so amazing, Boris? How how do you do that? It's so cool. It's so inspirational. It's just going to be complete nonsense. It's going to be fluff. He's going to get an easy ride, and he's going to do a couple of little bits where you know he's like, oh well, you know, come with the frog, Peppa Pig, forgive me. Oh my God, it's it's going to be that. Like that's literally when it's going to be, and I. But it'll just be about making him look good and important and personable, and I just. Hate it here. Uh, Boris Johnson um was interviewed this week as well, um on Sky News um. And he spoke about the Safe to Be Me conference. So, the government was holding a conference called Safe to Be Me about. LGBT issues. Um, it was supposed to be an international conference. It was a manifesto promise for them to hold it. Um, there was a great number of LGBT organisations um, that were upset and publicly spoke out last week after the government sort of fucked around for several days about conversion therapy. Um, initially, they were like, well, we're not going to ban it at all anymore. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, we might ban it a little bit as a treat, but like only for, you know, LGB people. Um, and then, you know, they were like, oh, well, we're definitely not banning it for trans people at the moment, so deal with it. Um, and then they were really surprised when LGBT organisations got upset about that. Um, and so then this week... Um, the majority of LGBT organisations that were going to be involved in the conference pulled out and said that they refused to be a part of the conference due to trans conversion therapy not being included in the conversion therapy ban. Um, the government's response to that was to cancel the conference entirely. Um, which, I mean... <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> it's childish to the extreme. 
it is childish to the extreme and boris johnson was asked about that and and he tried to act as if lgbt groups were being unreasonable and that they were not compromising and it's very like oh i can't believe you wouldn't compromise with me after i broke your trust and i failed to live up to all the things i promised you for years i can't believe you'd be this unreasonable to hold me to account oh my god you fucking ungrateful homos like it was very that i mean he didn't actually say that last part but you could tell he was fucking thinking that um the fact of the matter is is that boris johnson um and, and before him theresa may made promises to the lgbt community and they then waited years and years and years of just doing nothing seemingly <laughs> uh because i'm sorry but it's been years since the the promises to ban conversion therapy and you're telling me that you have just now come to the conclusion that maybe there's some issues that you need to work out so you just mysteriously need more time to figure it out really okay um you know but they've been making these promises for years and then they turn around and they say well well now we're not doing it at all and then days later they say oh well well you know we might do it a little bit you know but you you know you've got to accept that we're not going to do it for these other people in your community we're just we're not sorry and and then they they're, they're putting pressure on the community to accept far less than was promised to them initially and then they're surprised when LGBT groups don't want to play nice and they don't want to be compromising. Of course they don't, because this isn't a compromise. It's not a compromise because what it essentially is, is the British government trying to bully the LGBT community into accepting far less than was promised. Um, that's that's not a compromise that's just trying to push people to get your own way like <laughs> it's not it's not that lgbt groups were refusing to to compromise it's that the uk government was trying to force them into accepting something far less than than they were promised and those groups were like well no we're going to hold you to account for this this is fucked up why why have you suddenly changed your mind what what the fuck um I think that's fair. It, it's fair for these groups to say, well, no, why should we trust you? Why should we keep working with you when you can't even give us what you've been promising us for years? Like, why should we trust you? Why should we support you? Why should we show up to your conference and validate you? What for? What the fuck for? Like, there's nothing in it for these groups. There's nothing in it for LGBT groups um, to, you know, stand up and support the government because, I, I mean, anyone could tell you that you know there's there's no benefit to these groups in fact they would just be being used uh by the government and it's smart of these groups to stand up and say no i'm not doing it um now if the government's response to that is to try and blame them and um and act as if they've done something wrong for just saying hey you promised us this and you should do it it's fucked up if you're not even going to try um you know if that's the government's response and i think that says a lot about the government's lack of commitment to the lgbt community you know they want to turn around and say oh well you know we gave you gay marriage and you know oh well, we did this and we did that. but you know when you ask them what are you going to do right now and they're like oh <laughs> i don't know i don't know just, um 
I can't read suddenly. I don't know. Um, and I, I think that our community has every right to ask for more. I really, really do. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we have every right to ask for more. The government, the government may not like that we do. Um, but we're still fucking gonna <laughs> so deal with it. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask for what was promised because the, the UK government, and I feel like this is an important um, thing to to mention, is that over the years when the UK government has been promising to ban conversion therapy um, and to hold this conference as well, um, they got a lot of support and goodwill from these LGBT organisations that have now snapped and had enough they they got a lot of validation and essentially co-signs from these organizations um and that that was literally because of the promise that the uk government had made um so for them to now backtrack on it and essentially say to these groups well accept this incredibly watered down version of what we promised you or get nothing at all it's incredibly strange to watch the UK government act like they're the victims um, and that they're being, you know, attacked by the fucking gay mafia or whatever. Um, when actually what's happening is that the UK government have, you know, have, have failed LGBT people and LGBT groups and is now getting uppity about being criticized for that and having to face the actions having to face the action having to face the consequences of their actions there we go um because they don't they don't want to accept that actually sometimes if you promise something for years and years and then you just don't do it people will stop trusting you and people will want to stop being a part of the group that stands up for you and defends you um people won't want to say okay yeah you know we'll give you a chance we'll give you the benefit of the doubt they won't want to do that anymore because what do they get from it what, what do they get out of it like nothing um so yeah i i think it's a, a shame that the conference has been cancelled I think it's very childish of the government, to be honest. I really do. I think they... It's petty. Um, but pettiness seems to be their thing right now. Like, that seems to be very much um, what they want to do. And... <sighs> yeah. Okay. Very that. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk a little briefly about something, um, that I kind of noticed this week. Um, so <sighs> there are some people and they have um delusions um <laughs> about the uk 
um they have delusions about how things are um so there was a tweet by caroline noakes this week who is a conservative mp and she uh posted about stand up training uh which is training against street harassment and uh she posted in support of that um and was inviting people to join her in completing that and there were a lot of people that were critical of her some of which were trying to argue that like it's not even a thing um and so I I just wanted to share a a personal story I guess um with you with everybody because this week (laughs) this week while I was just living my life um I I experienced some of my own and and you know this is not like you know a once in a blue moon thing I you know I have dealt with harassment in the street a lot of times but um I mean this was (laughs) This was the first time I managed to actually get it on camera and that was literally just because of the fact that I was um live streaming at the time and so I was able to do that. Um and this uh this was I was waiting for a bus um because she doesn't drive. And I, so I'm waiting for a bus and I was waiting and waiting and I thought you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go live on Twitch, because one of my friends was like, oh, you're going live tonight, it'd be really fun to watch, and I was like, well, if I ever get home, maybe, but I kind of felt like I wasn't ever gonna get home, so I was like, fuck it, it's time to go live, (laughs) so I was just streaming from my phone, um, and it was a very fun stream for the most part, until this guy came up, and, um, I actually, I did say to him that I was recording and I was live and he decided to, um, well, let's take a listen. Yes. I'm a lesbian. Yes, I am. No, you can't. You absolutely can't tell me. Yes. Oh God, I'm nervous. Because I'm a homosexual. Okay, well then, I mean, why would you think you can turn me? Like, what does that mean? So, uh, I don't know how that, because I'm playing that from one phone onto another, but I don't know how the audio is going to sound. But nevertheless, um, there it was, fucking minding my business. He asked for my number. I tell him no. I give him a very good fucking reason for that. He then tells me he can turn me. He literally, mm-hmm. he went straight in with the fucking, the fucking creepy homophobia. He just, he was just like, fuck it, let's go. Um, it then, I mean, obviously I'm me, so I can tell when I sound uncomfortable, but I feel like most people would be able to tell I was uncomfortable. And everyone in my chat could tell that I was obviously uncomfortable and they were like asking if I was okay and, and stuff like that. 
um, as it was happening. But I would say, you know, I sounded uncomfortable. I sounded like I didn't want him to keep talking to me. I sounded like I wanted to be left alone. Um, and he keeps going. Even after it becomes very clear that I'm not going to give him my number because I'm not interested in men. Um, even when it becomes clear that I'm not interested in him because... I mean, he's homophobic. Like, he just keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going. Um, and it was kind of, you know, three or four attempts from him before I could get him to fuck off. And then after, like, I literally, a couple of minutes after, I had to end the stream because I was so, um, like, it was it was distressing, you know, because I do find that kind of thing distressing because that, that's... That's how it is, you know, it's it's this kind of uncomfortable feeling that kind of bubbles up inside you and then it just gets worse and you feel worse. Um, and so I found it frustrating, you know, from my own experiences and, the, you know, the experiences I, I go through quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I know other, you know, people are having it as well. Um, and so I found it frustrating that people were kind of trying to minimise what Caroline Noakes was trying to do you know, and I, firstly, I find it interesting anyway, that a woman is having to, um, is having to take the initiative and encourage, uh, people to join a campaign to, um, end an issue that primarily affects women. I find that interesting that again, women are the ones expected to do all of the labour to try and end our own oppression. That's interesting. Um, and I, I, I found it frustrating that there was, you know, a number of people who were trying to um, minimise what she was doing, how, she, how they were trying to, um, you know, criticise her for you know, trying to use her platform for something good. And I found that very frustrating. But I completely support her. I support this initiative. I do, if I'm honest, find it a little baffling that grown adults, um, <laughs> you know, need intervention. I, you know, I, I've i gone my whole life without harassing people in the street. And I know many people that have as well. Um, but, you know... I'm willing to go with it, keep the faith, whatever. Hope that people can be better. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can do that because, <laughs> honey, she's about to snap. But, you know, at a time when, you know, for many women um, and girls, and I do want to raise the point of girls very specifically because I know that I, and, and many, many women I know, you know, the, the street harassment started from childhood, um you know, so I think that's, that's an important point to raise. Um, but for many of us, it's such a regular occurrence, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that was the, the first time that I managed to get it live and broadcasting. And that's something I'll be doing in the future, by the way, um, because I did feel a bit safer and I felt a bit safer to, um, assert myself because I had said to him, this is, this is live, this is broadcasting right now. And I felt a bit safer to assert myself and say, you know what, this is fucking live on the internet, bitch. Like, <laughs> I'm live streaming. <laughs> I am live streaming, bitch. And it felt a bit safer to do that. Um, so I think I 
probably will be doing that in the future. Like they, you know, they don't, they don't know for a fact if I am or not. But like, if I tell them that, maybe that's going to give them pause because telling them, hello, my sexual orientation means that I'm never going to be interested in you doesn't appear to work. Um, I used to, I used to pretend I couldn't speak English, but I... <laughs> I I had to stop doing that for two reasons. Like number one, um, you know, things got a bit more hostile if you were out in public. Like you never knew if you were gonna be approached by someone that would just like brush it off and say, Okay, you don't understand me, fine. Or somebody who'd be like, Hey, fucking speak English, you're in England. So you, you never really knew how that was gonna go down. But also, Google fucking fucked with my life. Because the fucking translator app is mobile now. You had... They would literally get out the fucking mobiles and, and open the app and translate what I was saying. And I'm like, oh, no. No. And then they would fucking type in what, what they wanted to say to me. And they'd be like, oh, okay. So the translator app says you're speaking Spanish. Okay, one moment. And then they would type into Google Translate and have the fucking little robot in the phone say to me in Spanish, hi, can I have your number? And I'd be like, for fuck's sake. Well, now I can't say I don't understand because oh, fucking technology, man. Anyway, so that became an issue. So I can't do that anymore. I can't pretend I don't speak English, um, which is a shame because I was, I was literally... Like, it was the perfect crime, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, I look kind of ethnically ambiguous. And a lot of the time, people don't know, like, exactly where I'm from. Um, and, you know, I could speak Spanish. And so I could just, you know, just sort of say a couple of sentences and be like, I don't understand, fuck off. Um, <laughs> but, like, in Spanish, obviously. Um, but I can't, I can't do that anymore. I can't, I can't do that anymore. So, you know, and, and you know, if you go with all the other options, you know, I, I, I don't go out with men, I, I have a boyfriend, whatever, whatever, whatever. None of that fucking works. So I'm, I'm trying a new tactic of saying, I'm streaming live on the internet. So uh, are you sure you want to do this? And some of them will continue to act the fool. But um, it made me feel a bit safer and more assertive and a bit less afraid of a violent response. So uh, a top tip for all of you out there that may be something you may want to consider if you have a phone that looks like it could like have a camera like just be like oh yeah I'm live streaming on Twitch right now I'm doing an IRL live stream right now uh, I am live on the internet and everyone is seeing what's coming out of my phone's camera and everyone can hear what's coming out you know coming into my phone's microphone so think about that before you proceed okay so <laughs> that that may be something to consider or you could you know it doesn't have to be twitch you could say oh i'm live on instagram right now or i'm live on tiktok or whatever um i don't know if you can still go live on on twitter is periscope still a thing i don't know um i know you can do you could be like i'm doing a twitter space right now <laughs> i'm live on clubhouse <laughs> but like you know so that's yeah but anyway a shout out to her because I think she did have really good intentions and it was a shame to see people being really dismissive and really rude to her. So shout out to you, sis.
So this week started off uh, not great for Rishi Sunak and it just kind of kept going. Um, now, he might have thought that it started off great for him, but in my opinion, no. I thought it was a late April Fool's joke, but it was real. Uh, so Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, um, has asked the Royal Mint to create an NFT. So... If you are wondering, what the fuck is an NFT? I don't blame you, um, because, I mean, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> um, so, let's have a little look, shall we? Let's look it up together. What the fuck is an NFT? Uh, so, it's a non-fungible token, um, a non-interchangeable unit of data stored on a blockchain, a form of digital ledger that can be sold and traded. Okay. <laughs> okay, Carl. Um, so, NFT ledgers claim to provide a public certificate of authenticity or proof of ownership, but the legal rights conveyed by an NFT can be uncertain. NFTs do not restrict the sharing or copying of the underlying digital files, do not necessarily convey the copyright of the digital files, and do not prevent the creation of NFTs with identical associated files. So, I mean, I know maybe there's going to be some NFT bros that are going to try and come for me, but like, I don't care. Um, basically, you're like buying a digital asset that can still be copied someone else can just like click it and fucking right click download it whatever you can't really stop them but you're buying a little fucking digital certificate that says oh yes 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 you own this and it's like okay but like technically everybody else can still like have access to it so who cares and nfts have become this thing that everybody's fucking involved in and i think it's fucking stupid um uh, one of the great disappointments for me um <laughs> The Saw series did NFTs. You know, the, the, the movie Saw, you know, the, you know, I want to play a game. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that series. And um, I'm just saying, John, John would not want this. John Kramer would not want NFTs. He was not the kind of bitch that would be fucking with that. So it was really disappointing that they, they, they did that. Um, and now... The Chancellor's like, okay, yeah, the Royal Mint, we're going to do some fucking NFTs. Yep, yep, yep. Why? So Rishi can look at people literally struggling to live, uh, literally struggling to heat their homes and to have food uh, and, and all that shit. And he just thinks, oh, well, never mind all that. I want to make an NFT. I want to do that. Fuck off, Rishi. People are literally struggling with their lives. People are living in poverty in one of the richest nations in the world. And you're thinking, oh, let's make a fucking NFT. What a twat, honestly. I thought, like I said, I thought it was an April Fool's joke, but it's actually real. It's a real thing. Um, <laughs> bitch, I mean, um, fucking fucking around with like cryptocurrency and fucking nfts when he should be thinking about the people that are actually suffering and the people that need his support and his help as the fucking chancellor get on with your job bitch don't be sitting there fucking talking about fucking you know 
royal mint fucking apes or whatever i'm reliably informed that quite a lot of nfts are like pictures of apes but like drawn as like madonna or eminem or something i don't know um but like you're fucking worrying about that fucking worry about the fact that there are people in full-time work who are having to go to fucking food banks because they can't afford the cost of living worry about that bitch anyway um matt hancock also decided to jump on the whole cryptocurrency thing this week because, I mean, I guess he decided he had not given us enough Matt in a midlife crisis content. Um, he spoke at the London Crypto Club um, and... <laughs> this man is a tragedy uh he said if we get the regulation right crypto will not only accelerate growth but make financial systems more transparent and reduce crime um now um, <laughs> I, I don't know man um a lot of people pointed out that actually cryptocurrency carries a big risk because it might crash in value um at any time really <laughs> <laughs> um and actually cryptocurrency is often used in crime um so the idea that the government can just sort of fix that and be like oh i can change you i can make you big girl shut up no you can't um <laughs> so bit shady um but then to take it back to rishi Mr. Obsessed with his image had a fucking terrible week this week and I have to laugh um, because I'm a mean girl and I love seeing people that I dislike in, in pain and discomfort. Um, so Rishi Sunak, um, who is the Chancellor, obviously there were people criticising his wife uh, over the last few weeks because of the shares in a company that she uh she owns a lot of shares in a company that is still doing business with Russia even after Rishi Sunak himself publicly said that companies should stop doing business with Russia and his wife's company that that she owns shares in was found to not be doing that um and just carrying on and continuing to do business in Russia um and he got all uppity about the criticism and he was like oh well you know i understand how will smith feels <laughs> Well, it turns out there was more to criticise. It turns out there was more to criticise. Um, because it turns out that his wife has non-dom status, which means she doesn't have to pay UK tax on income that is earned abroad. So what does it mean in a, a deeper sense? Um, so a non-dom is a UK resident who declares their permanent home or domicile outside of the UK. Um, and what that means is that they don't have to pay tax on overseas income in the UK. So it's tax avoidance, basically. It's a little bit fucking shady. Um, you know, it, it's technically legal, but it's not really ethically right. You know what I mean? Um, and it's certainly not advisable to be doing this if your husband is literally the Chancellor of the fucking Exchequer. I'm just saying, if I was married to 
are a rich and powerful politician with a very, very important cabinet position, I certainly would not be doing shady things that could potentially embarrass and undermine him. Um, but alas, uh, my uh, my life has, has not seen fit to uh, have a situation in which I am married to a rich and powerful politician. Um, rich and powerful ladies, if you're out there, hello, I am available. Um, and I, I do a very good impression of, of a first lady. So <laughs> like I will be, I'll be very, you know, demure and, and, you know, Ava Perone in the streets. Um, everybody will say, oh, isn't she lovely? Oh my God. She's like our princess die. Um, so I'm just saying, Hello. I can tone down the swearing if you... No, it's a lie. I can't. <laughs> I can't. But, like, I, I can tone it down if I'm live. So, that's also a lie. But, nevertheless, nevertheless, um, if I were married to the Chancellor, I would make sure that people could not call me out for tax avoidance. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing because tax... I think I think I've got it the right way around. Hang on. <laughs> um, so I think it's tax evasion that's illegal, right? Um, yes, tax evasion, which is illegal. Tax avoidance is technically legal, but you know it's not great. Um, I find it funny that there is a whole section of ways that really, if we're being real with ourselves, are essentially the same as tax evasion. It is trying to get out of paying as much tax as you ought to be, um, you know, by going through all these loopholes and, you know, funny ways of doing things to, to get out of paying as much tax as you probably ought to be, um, but because those things are mainly done by rich people, we call it tax avoidance and it's legal and it's okay. Um, but everything else is, is tax evasion and that's illegal. But, you know, the, the methods that are often used by the rich and the wealthy and the famous, those are, those are different. It, it's avoidance and, you know, it's, it's technically legal, whatever, whatever. And I find that very fucking interesting, if I'm honest. Um, and by very fucking interesting, I mean fucking disgusting. Um, but that's, that's what she's been doing. Um, so, <laughs> um, one of the things that has happened throughout this um, is there have been a number of people saying that she shouldn't be criticised. Um, Rishi Sunak said it was wrong for people to criticise his wife. Um, and I don't believe that to be true. Because here's the thing. Um... Akshata Murti, I hope I said that correctly, and I mean that sincerely. She's a grown woman. She's a grown woman with her own business interests. Um, she has her own career. She's grown. Um, 
she can fucking take it. She can take criticism, Rishi. She doesn't need you to step in and fucking protect her. There are some people who were trying to front like this was uh, was misogynistic to question her. Um, and that she shouldn't face criticism. Um, James Cleverly, uh, a government minister and a full-time fool, uh, said, I really thought we had moved on from the notion that wives are merely an extension of their husbands. Seems that Labour didn't get the memo. And so he's trying to imply that the Labour Party are only criticising her because of her connection to Rishi Sunak and because they're married. Um, no, um, there have been a number of times when the rich and the wealthy and, and the famous who have participated in, you know, tax avoidance... Um, have been criticized because it's wrong you know it might be legal but it's still wrong um and you know they have been criticized for that so why is it that this one woman apparently can't be why is that you know if this was uh, a man that we were talking about I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be all of this fucking precious, oh, leave her alone, oh, don't criticise her, oh, you're being so horrible. There wouldn't be none of that. I promise you, there wouldn't be none of that. So, in actual fucking fact, and I'm about to switch things around, I'm about to change the fucking narrative, I'm about to give you the real tea, it is incredibly misogynistic to act like this woman should not be criticised. Because you, you are implying that a woman a woman can't take criticism. A woman shouldn't be criticised. A woman shouldn't ever be called out on her shit. What this woman is doing is wrong. Yeah, it might be legal because many laws in the UK are fucking archaic and need to be updated. But it's wrong. Morally, ethically, it is wrong. And if she is stupid enough to do it while being married to the Chancellor... Well then, honey, she deserves every bit of criticism she gets and then some because, my God. I find it funny that um, when Jimmy Carr, um, he, was, he was doing shady things with his taxes and, you know, the government were happy to call him out. They were happy. And, you know, rightly so. He was doing shady shit and they were happy to call him out. But they're not happy now. Uh, when Gary Barlow was doing shady shit with his taxes, there were people in the government, they called him out, but they're not happy to do it now. I wonder what the reason is. I wonder if it's because of the fact that neither Jimmy Carr nor Gary Barlow were married to the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Were it not for the fact that she was married to this man, would she be escaping from this criticism? I don't think so. I... I just, mm, it's shady, it's shady, it's shady. I do not like. Um, more shady things. More shady, more shady, more shady. Uh, so, as it all turns out, um, for some absolutely insane reason, um, the Charter of the Exchequer was apparently a US resident? What? What did, what does all of what? Okay, so here's the tea. Uh so um apparently uh Rishi Sunak had a green card uh for the United States. Um 
which required for him to pay US taxes on his worldwide income and to pledge that the US is his forever home. And meanwhile, meanwhile, he was quite literally the Chancellor of the fucking Exchequer in the UK. How are you going to be talking about how the US is your forever home? It's your permanent home. You're a resident, yada, yada, yada. When you literally hold a high-ranking government position somewhere the fuck else. What the fuck? Why did he even have this? Why did he even have this? I... I don't understand. What is going on? in Rishi land what is happening he was declared a permanent u.s resident while he was the chancellor of the uk <laughs> what does it mean what does it mean uh so uh later in the week um it was announced that rishi sunak's wife uh would be paying some tax on her overseas income here in the uk uh so it said that she will be retaining her Indian citizenship and keeping her non-dom status in order to keep her family's inheritance tax benefits. Um, but she will be paying some tax voluntarily. Um, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> would she be paying that tax voluntarily if all of this hadn't happened? I doubt it. Um, I doubt it very heavily. Um what a fucking mess um so wife caught up in tax avoidance and the chancellor pledging allegiance to the united states and committing to make it his forever home what the actual fuck i f i feel like um all of this coming out all at once it kind of makes me think maybe little rishi was trying to make moves and someone decided to slap him down very publicly because it seems uh a little bit strange that all of these uh shady things came out all at once uh labor the labor party uh the one of the primary opposition parties decided to take advantage of this whole thing and they did a little publicity stunt uh they sent a bunch of people dressed as rishi sunak with little rishi masks uh for a photo op outside of his office um and they had huge envelopes. <laughs> you know what? I have to give up to the Labour Party for this because <laughs> I found this funny. Um, they had huge envelopes with them uh, that were probably bigger than the real Rishi Sunak. Let's be real. Um, and the envelope said, the cost of the Conservatives, your tax bill with Rishi's little signature. Because on all of the graphics that come from the Treasury, it has Rishi's little fucking autograph on them which is just a weird piece of branding and I don't understand that. But, um, and it says to the working people, 15 Tory tax rises, paying more, getting less. Um, 
I I I thought this was a fun little moment. It it was very reminiscent of stuff like the mirror chicken and all that kind of fun stuff. Very camp. I loved it. Um and I think I think stuff like this, you know, some people might write it off as oh it's a bit silly, but you know, it gets it, it sticks in people's heads and then they think, oh well, you know, that's true. We are gonna be paying more and we are gonna be getting less. Um, and you know, you've got this man who walks around in his little suits and he, he's got his little fucking autograph on everything and, you know, he's trying very hard to make himself look good, but does he actually care about me? And I think the events of this week make it very clear that Rishi Sunak does not give a single solitary shit about anybody but himself. Um, and, and so I, in, in the spirit of that, I very much support Labour's little stunt and I thought it was very, very cute. Okay, so that's all for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show and I will speak to you again next week. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, please feel free to uh, leave us a good review or a rating. That would really help and I would love you forever. Um, and I'll see you again soon. Love you. Bye. going on with this whole politics business. And the, the stuff about me paddleboarding, nonsense, the sea was actually closed, it was a, a red notice. When Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, sang, it's not easy being green. You remember that one? Russia should go away, should shut up. In China, that's, that's a dodgy view. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Peppa Pig who's been to Peppa Pig World? In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. Like seriously, what the f-